F1 2023 season is over and it's time for part two of my season review as we look at the teams, the drivers and the teammate head to head. So get ready because you've been summoned to the steward's office. Hello everyone and welcome back to the steward's office. I'm Sarah and we are doing part two of my season review today. This is going to be the last episode in 2023. I will be back in early 2024 for season two of the steward's office. But for today, we are just going to round out my season review. Last week's episode was part one. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, head over there. I picked out some of the key moments of the 2023 Formula One season, some of the best moments, the most controversial, some of the most WTF moments that we went through, because there was a lot that happened this season. This week, though, I'm going to be looking at each of the teams, each of the drivers, and what the teammate head-to-head was really like. I'm super, super excited for this episode. I hope you guys enjoy it. And my apologies if my voice sounds a little bit off today. I've had a horrible cough and cold for the past couple of days. I have a bottle of Lucasade on one side of me and a packet of Soothers on the other. But yeah, it might be why my voice is sounding just a little bit rough today. But let's get in to the final part of my season review and the final episode in 2023. So let's kick it off with our Constructors' Championship winners, Red Bull. And it has been an amazing year for Red Bull. They've been super, super dominant, extremely strong. And I think for everyone out in the factory at Milton Keynes, everyone that is working on trackside, every single member of Red Bull should be so, so proud of the year they've had. They've not really put a foot wrong this year, let's be honest. No strategy blunders, no problems with their upgrades. They've been an extremely cohesive team because you can have the fastest car and you can have a really, really good driver in your car. But if your strategy and your pit stops and your upgrades are falling apart, none of that matters. You're not going to have the domination that Red Bull have managed to have this season. They had completely nailed the 2022 regulations when they came in last year. And that has given them such a big advantage now coming into 2023 and into next year as well, because they're not trying to figure out what's wrong with the car. All they're trying to do is build a better one. And what they have now is all of the other nine teams having to play catch up with them. And I know there's still going to be a certain amount of pressure of them wanting to stay at the front. But it's not going to be pressure like the other teams behind them are feeling, the likes of Mercedes, who are still trying to find a concept that works for them. They're not feeling any of that pressure. They know what works. And now it's refining it. Now it's finding how they can make it that little bit faster. It has been such an exciting year for Red Bull, I think. Their third driver's title in a row, their second constructor's title in a row to add to what they already had. The only low for them really came in Singapore when they didn't get on the podium or get a win. But the way that we've seen other teams really hit those troughs and have to dig themselves out of difficult situations with their cars, it's not necessarily something Red Bull has had to do. And that's a testimony to their entire engineering department, to their mechanics, their strategists, their drivers. Everyone has played a part in giving Red Bull such an incredible year where 21 out of the 22 races, they were walking away with grins on their faces. And when we look at the stats, they have the most points at 860, the most wins at 21, most podiums at 30, pole positions at 14, fastest laps at 11, laps led at 1,149 and laps raced at 2,540. They have dominated each of those stats. And when you then think that they've only had two retirements or DNFs, which are the least of any team on the grid, 
what can you say? I mean, those stats just speak for themselves and really tell you what Red Bull did this year. Giving them a score out of 10, I mean, it has to be a 10 out of 10, even with the Singapore non-win, right? Because I know, yeah, maybe I could dock off half a mark for that. But the fact that there was even a thought that anyone had that Red Bull could potentially win every single race this season is absolutely insane. And that's why I've given them 10 out of 10. It's not just what's happened on track. It's everything off track. All of the people that have made that season possible for Red Bull. Absolutely brilliant. Looking at their two drivers now, I mean, Max Verstappen, what a phenomenal year from this driver. He's at his absolute peak right now. He is in the form of his life. Three wheel titles back to back, 19 wins in one season. That's a record breaking number of wins. Will we see that record broken? Who knows? I will never, ever say never. For all we know, he could break it himself next year. But just looking at that record in this moment is incredible. He's got the longest consecutive win streak this season as well. I mean, it was just such a consistently good season from him. Everything pulled together. He did so well in that car. He seemed at home in it. Everything was just working out so, so well. Admittedly, yes, there was no real battle at the front for him. And even if he was battling at the front, it was only for a couple of laps. And then he was away. There wasn't really someone that could challenge him at the front. So next season, it will be interesting to see what happens if and when he does have that challenge, because we will get there eventually. Eventually, there will be someone that will catch up to Red Bull, a driver that will be able to fight with Max Verstappen. It'll be very interesting to see what happens then. But on the face of it now, a really incredible season from Max Verstappen. And yep, out of 10, I've given him a 10. I don't think there's anything more to say there. Sergio Perez on the other side of the Red Bull garage. I mean, not a year like Max Verstappen, let's be honest. Got P2 in the driver's title, which was brilliant. But I think it was a little bit of a shocker of a year for him. And you do wonder if that Red Bull wasn't as quick as it was, would he have gotten into P2? Would it have been more of a struggle with the likes of Lewis and Fernando? And the fact that he was having to battle them to get P2 in the first place with the way the Aston Martin was in the middle of the season, with the way the Mercedes has been the entire season, it's just not something you would expect. You'd expect him to be comfortably in P2. And if not that, you would expect him to be battling Max for the championship. Where Max Verstappen has been incredibly consistent, there has just been no consistency this season from Sergio Perez. He never seemed fully comfortable with that car. He seemed to always be battling with it and wrestling it a little bit more. And that was just a little bit disappointing to see because we see cars further down the grid, right, that are a little bit more difficult to deal with. You see both drivers in a team wrestling that car. I'm looking at the Alfa Romeo this year, the Alfa Tauri at the beginning of this year, even the likes of Mercedes and Ferrari at times on certain tracks where the drivers are having to rest it through the corners a little bit more. But you put that more down to the car because you see both drivers struggling. There was just such a contrast between Max extracting an extraordinary amount of speed from the RB19 to Sergio, who oftentimes struggled to get pace out of it. And the thing is, it looked so positive for him at the beginning of the year. He had this bit of momentum. We thought he's going to actually bring a battle to Max. Even though Red Bull are going to have this dominance this season, and we could tell very early on that there was no team that was going to be able to match them. I thought, we're going to get a battle between the two drivers though, right? So that'll be interesting and that'll be really, really good to watch. 
But by the time we got to Miami, all of that seemed to fade away. And that was fairly early on in the season. That title hope faded away and Max just seemed to be so dominant and so confident in that car. There were just so many times where Sergio wasn't qualifying in the top 10. He wasn't getting into Q3. And I think it left us all scratching our heads a little bit because we just couldn't figure out what was going on. I had expected so much more. I think everyone had, considering how quick Red Bull were and considering the driver that Sergio Perez is, because he's not a bad driver by any means. He's had some absolutely incredible races, even before he went to Red Bull. So I don't really know what happened this year. And it might just be a bad year. He might just have had a bit of a blip because it does happen with drivers. Sometimes they have an off year and we also just don't know what's going on around him. Maybe it was just a bit of bad luck for him. Maybe he wasn't in the right headspace. Whatever it is, I am hoping we go into 2024. And if we don't have anyone else challenging Red Bull, that Sergio can mount that challenge to max. I ended up giving him a four and a half out of ten, which might sound harsh, but yeah, I was just expecting so much more from him. And going on to the teammate head-to-head, I mean, Max has fully dominated this season, not just against the rest of the grid, but against his own teammate. He's 20-2 on races and 20-2 on qualifying. You would expect that to be a little bit closer. I know Max is in the form of his life right now. He is doing incredibly well. He's breaking records. It's three wheel titles in a row and it might be hard to match that. I do understand. But 20 to 2 on races, 20 to 2 on qualifying. I would expect Sergio's numbers just to be closer to the double digits almost because he comes with so much experience. I would just hope that next year we see those numbers a little bit closer together. He is going to need a more competitive year against Max Verstappen next year because his contract with Red Bull is up. I think pretty much everyone is guessing and assuming that Red Bull aren't going to sign him for another year after that. They look like they're already eyeing up Daniel Ricciardo to take into that seat again. Do I think there's a chance of him being dropped in the middle of the season if he can't be more competitive with Max Verstappen, if he's falling down the field a little bit more, especially if there are other teams that are getting competitive with Red Bull? Potentially. But that is something we will talk about more next year when I do a 2024 season preview. But yeah, I just think he needs a more competitive year next year because this year was not great for him. Moving into P2 in the Constructors now, and we are coming to Mercedes. What do I say about Mercedes? They did their car reveal. They decided to stick with the no-pods design. And I can't lie, my heart sank when I saw that. I didn't understand why they would keep the no-pod design. I don't think a lot of fans understood why they would keep the no-pod design. Nobody, nobody really understood why, okay? I don't think that drivers really fully understood why they would keep it, but it was what they decided to start the season with. I think they were hoping that they had found a solution that would make the car more competitive, more predictable, sort out the pole pricing. But it didn't work. And I think we all knew it wasn't going to work. It was a concept that really should have been scrapped after the 2022 season. Mercedes said that the win in Brazil from George Russell had given them hope, which I think we all thought was a little bit insane because one win should not define whether a car works or not, considering the entire season that Mercedes had in 2022. But they kept it and it didn't work. And eventually... They came in with what I call a B-spec car. I know Mercedes didn't want to call it that, but I think a lot of us were like, yeah, you've 
basically changed the concept here. So it is a B-spec car. And there was no real large improvement. And I don't know whether Mercedes were hoping for a better improvement, but there was nothing massive. No huge, huge gains in the field. Now, at the beginning, when these new upgrades came and we had the B-spec car, Mercedes was saying they thought the car was now more predictable. Setups didn't seem as hard to figure out. They could get it in the right window because that setup window was a lot bigger for them. And the car felt a little bit better for the drivers as well. That was when the B-spec car first came in, but that did not seem to be a sentiment that was really carried on throughout the season. This B-spec car did not like every circuit. It's still not an all-round car, and that's still a problem. Neither of the drivers seem to be happy with the car. Lewis is not. He was like, we've just got a sister car to what the diva we had in 2022 was. George didn't seem to be very comfortable with it. Toto definitely was not happy. And I don't know, this just felt like a bit of a meh season from Mercedes. This is the second year in a row now that they just haven't hit the mark with the new regulations. Do I think they regret keeping that no pods design from the outside looking in? Yes, because I think you lost development time on a concept that could actually work. Even with this B-spec, if they had more time with it, things might have changed. They might not have had to fight Ferrari right until the end of the season for P2 and the constructors. Lewis might have had a better chance for P2 in the Drivers' Championship. I don't know. I'm not saying it's definite. And hindsight, of course, is 2020. But yeah, the beginning half of the season just felt like there was almost time lost that could have been spent developing a better concept. What I will give Mercedes, though, is even though both concepts weren't exactly what they wanted, what they needed to fight at the front, what the team did have was consistency for most of the year. And I think it's that consistency that let them get P2 in the championship. Because for a very long time, Aston Martin were P2 and Mercedes were trying to chase them. And I think Aston Martin not nailing their upgrades and falling down the order a little bit and Mercedes generally being fairly consistent with their car and their race pace and their reliability was what managed to keep them P2. So I think that is something that they had going for them this year. However... Their pit stops were absolutely awful and I definitely think it has cost them podiums at times, it's cost them bigger points and I've been saying that since last year that their pit stops need to be quicker and I think a lot of Mercedes fans and just people in general, neutral people that watch F1 have looked at those pit stops and said they need to be quicker and it seemed that it was midway through this season that Toto finally admitted that yeah, it was something that they had to work on. This isn't like when Mercedes had their dominance before the 2022 regulations came in, where it wouldn't really matter if the pit stop was a second longer or they messed something up. They don't have the quickest car on the field anymore. They are having to battle with multiple cars around them and those cars have quicker pit stops. So you can't let this one thing fall apart because it does have a big impact on the race. So better late than never, I guess, but it is something that they really need to sort out. The strategy on a whole was okay. A few questionable choices throughout the season, but they weren't consistently awful. Having a quick look at their stats, they took second in the constructors with 409 points. They are third in the number of podiums and pole positions that they've gotten. So eight podiums and that one pole position from Lewis Hamilton. They're second in their number of fastest laps with five. They've led 19 laps. 
raced for 2,520 laps, which is the team with the second most amount of laps raced. And they have five retirements or DNFs this season, and that makes them the team with the third least amount of DNFs. Overall, I am giving them a 7 out of 10 for the season. The consistency has saved them. Really, what their city even graces is having a driver like Lewis Hamilton in their car. And on that note, let's start talking about the drivers. Because Lewis, I think, extracted maximum performance out of that car. He outdrove the car multiple times this year. Hence the P3 in the Drivers' Championship. I mean, that car should not be P2 in the Constructors and should not have a driver that could get it into P3 for the Drivers' Championship. And yet, Lewis has managed to take P3. And it was a phenomenal amount of consistency from him, of drive, the amount of effort that he's put in, and the attitude of just not giving up, even when the car has been absolutely awful. It's been that mentality of you have to keep going. There is always a chance to win and you never know what can happen, even on the days where it falls apart. And that's not just him. That's the entire team surrounding him. It's people like Peter Bonington, who is this race engineer down the radio on the races where Lewis feels like things are just going pear-shaped, who's picking him up and telling him he can do it. But I think it's Lewis's talent and skill that's really shone through in the Mercedes this year. His second year without a win, but he did get a pole position out in Hungary. And I think that pole did massive things for him, confidence-wise as well, and also showed that he can still pull a great lap together. And I think it was a great morale booster for the team. I just think this was probably a stronger season for him compared to last year. 2023 felt like we were seeing the racier Lewis again. It felt like he was a lot stronger, even though he was battling with the car pretty much every race. You could see the fight in him to want to do well, to want to get those points to the team. And it just, yeah, felt like a much stronger season from him. I mean, look, the hope is that Mercedes give him a competitive car next year because he still has the ability to fight at the front. That hasn't left. Like I said, that's fully shown in getting P3 in the drivers, getting that pole position in a car that is not great and oftentimes, what, third, fourth, sometimes fifth fastest on the grid. And if we don't get a more competitive car per se, if it's not fighting at the front, I hope we at least get a more consistent car for him, one that is more stable, one that he's not wrestling through every corner. Because I think if the car is a bit more predictable and he's not having to fight it as much, we'll get some consistently good results from him. Overall, I am giving him a 7.5 out of 10 for the 2023 season. There were a few driver errors, a few accidents, including the Qatar incident, that has knocked some points off. But I still think a very good season from Lewis Hamilton. George Russell, however, I think, unlike Lewis, who got stronger this season, I think this season was a little bit weaker compared to 2022. I don't really know why. He just seemed to struggle a little bit more this year. And yes, I admit there was some bad luck that he's had. But there are times he's just not been able to fully maximise on the opportunities he's been given and on the race pace that he's had. It's not really pulled together for him all in one go this season. And it's not like he hasn't had good pace. A lot of the time him and Lewis are matching race pace wise, but it doesn't feel like everything can pull together into one good race. It was very, very rare. We'd have a race or a race weekend where everything would go well for George. I'm giving him a 6 out of 10 overall, but I do expect next season to be better for him. I don't think this is his form. I think this has just not been a great season. Saying that though, the head-to-head between the two drivers was actually quite close when you look at qualifying. I mean, they were tied for qualifying and Lewis said that he's not happy with his qualifying performance. 
it's something that he really wants to work on for next year. But the race day, though, was when we saw a little bit more of a difference between Lewis and George. And it was 15 to 6 to Lewis Hamilton, not including Lewis's disqualification out in Cota. So it's definitely a little bit more in hand for Lewis when it comes to a race day. And I think we saw that consistently throughout the year. His race pace and his racecraft is just really, really good. So yeah, on one lap pace, they're very close together. Race day is probably something George Russell is going to want to focus on more for next year. Moving on to Scuderia Ferrari, P3 in the championship. And it could always be worse for them, right? Strategy was a huge, huge issue for them this year, let's be honest. But reliability actually looked better for them. Reliability in 2022 was not great, but reliability in 2023, it seemed a lot better. I think the issue here is that they have a car that is so alive on a Saturday. It's incredible. I mean, they were beating up Max Verstappen to pull position. But when it comes to a Sunday and it comes to a race day, that's when it's all falling apart and they can't seem to get the race pace together for a Sunday. Start of the season, it was down to tyre wear, tyre degradation. They were just eating up the tyres when they were driving. And these aren't drivers that are rookies and don't know how to manage their tyres. Carlos and Charles have no problem with that at all. But the car itself was just not kind on its tyres. They had fixed that with their mid-season upgrade, so they said, and it looked a lot better. But the race pace just still wasn't there. Everything seemed to be going well for them in qualifying. And even though it didn't seem to be a tyre deck issue on a Sunday, they still just weren't able to keep that amazing pace up. Not consistently. There were some races where they had very, very good race pace. The car was more suited to the track. But overall, there was a bit more of a struggle on a Sunday. Saying all that, though, right, my hat's off to Ferrari because they were the only team that managed to get a race win against RBR this year. The only non-Red Bull race win that we've had. So hats off to them for doing that. And I mean, overall for Ferrari, I feel like there is this new attitude and outlook to them with their new TP, Frederick Vasseur. seems to be a new energy in the team and it feels exciting and it feels fresh and it feels new. And yes, they've had some issues, but this hasn't been an awful season. Yes, strategy, I think, is going to be the huge thing that they need to figure out because it is costing their drivers even when race pace isn't great, right? They're losing even more places because their strategy is getting so badly messed up. But saying that, let's just have a quick look at their stats. So yes, third in the constructors with 406 points, the only non-Red Bull win with one win, nine podiums. So they're the team with the second most amount of podiums, seven pole positions. So they're the team with the second most amount of poles. Didn't get a fastest lap in this year. 118 laps led, so second most team. And then 2,393 laps raced. And they also, like Mercedes, have five retired or DNFs. I'm giving them a 7 out of 10 because I don't think this is a complete washout of a season and I think a lot of the time we do look at Ferrari and we think it's falling apart for them, what's going on, it's a mess but I honestly don't think this was an awful awful season for them. Yes they were in a closer fight with Red Bull at the beginning of last year and that just didn't seem to be the case this year but I do think things are slowly pulling together for them now. I think we saw that towards the end of this year. My fingers are so badly crossed that they saw out their strategy for 2024 because they are just losing on so many points because of their strategy but we will wait and see but yeah I think a 7 out of 10 
I think it is like Mercedes. There are multiple things that they need to work on. But overall, I don't think it's been a horrible season for them. Looking at their drivers now and starting with Charles Leclerc, he had the second most amount of pole positions after Max Verstappen. We know he has wicked one lap pace. Watching him during qualifying is just amazing to watch when you see him pull a lap together. He had a bit of an up and down season overall. Some bad luck. He had quite a few retirements at the start of the season. I think probably... Not only hampered, obviously, his points in the Drivers' Championship, but probably his confidence a little bit as well. You get a bit frustrated and you're not in the right headspace then. But it was a lot more consistent in the second half of the season. I know a lot of the media talk about the fact that he can't seem to convert his pole positions to race wins. I don't think that's entirely on him. I don't think he has bad race pace or bad race craft. But I think the Ferrari just isn't a Sunday race day car. It's a Saturday quality day car. And that's what's not helping his pull to win conversion. So I'm giving him a 7 out of 10. Looking at Carlos Sainz, he was the only other driver than Max and Sergio Perez to win a race this season. And oh my gosh, this man is in his car, not only trying to defend, trying to battle, trying to attack. He's also running his own strategy while he's driving because he kind of has to at this point. And yes, he's had a couple of crashes this season, which, yeah, like Charles did not help his points. But I don't think this was a bad season from him either. So like Charles, I'm also giving him a 7 out of 10. I think, yes, there were moments where there wasn't a whole load of consistency because of retirements and DNFs. But on a whole, I think this was still a very good season for Carlos. Ferrari seemed to be very happy with him and Charles. And yeah, I think that Singapore race win for him, the DRS trick that he played with the Mercedes giving land of the DRS, he's had a very good strategical and tactical year. The head-to-head was actually very, very close for both of these drivers, which is part of the reason why I had to give them equal scores as well. Charles was only head by six points in the Drivers' Championship. The races were 11-9 to Charles Leclerc. That is excluding the did-not-start-in-cutter for Carlos and the disqualification in Cota for Charles. And then in qualifying, it was 15-7 to to Charles Leclerc. A little bit more of a gap in qualifying, but I think the raw pace that Charles has during a Saturday, not many people are really going to be able to match up to it. And I still think 15-7 to is quite good. Moving on to McLaren, and this was a season of two halves for them, let's be honest. Beginning of the season, I completely lost hope for them. I mean, I didn't believe Mika Hackner when he said, nope, they're going to get really quick and I think they've got a really good pace coming up. I didn't believe any of the reports in the media when they were saying, oh, there's a better car on its way and it's going to be really, really quick and they could be matching Max Verstappen and Red Bull. I didn't believe it because these were cars that were struggling to get out of Q1 at the beginning of the year. But it was the truth. It was completely the truth. They made a massive, massive leap. And I think teams up and down the grid were shocked at the leap that they had managed to make. And that weight was 100% worth it for them. We went from the beginning of the season where, yeah, the drivers were getting knocked out in Q1 to then their drivers after these upgrades came in battling for pole positions and podiums. And that all happened in the space of a season. That's what's incredible. 302 points put them in fourth place in the constructors beating out Aston Martin. Zero wins, but they did get nine podiums, equal to Ferrari in the second most amount of podiums for a team this season. And considering how their season started, 
it just shows how much stronger their car got. No pole positions, three fastest laps, 31 laps led, 2,458 laps raced, and four retirements or DNFs, and a lot of those came very early on in the season. And giving them an 8.5 out of 10, a couple of points knocked off just because at the beginning of the season, but after those upgrades, brilliant, brilliant year. And on top of the fact, there were still a couple of races towards the end of the season where they did struggle a little bit, not massively, but yet certain things I think they're just going to be tweaking with the car to make it more of an all-rounder and yeah that's why they've got an eight and a half out of ten. Lando Norris I mean once that new car and that new concept car was under him Lando showed why McLaren has so much faith in him and why they put so much stock into him as a driver. He was so cool and calm and just collected at the front of the pack had amazing battles and wheel-to-wheel racing. The standout moment for me that sticks out in my head was him taking the lead during the British Grand Prix and the way the crowd roared for him. It was beautiful to watch. I think now what we have is a car that Lando can really show his racing strengths in. He is still extremely hard on himself though and we have a first win that is evading him that might just be weighing in the back of his mind subconsciously. But regardless of all that, I mean, he's had an incredible amount of podiums this year. A lot were back-to-back, which is showing that he can be a very consistent driver, especially for someone that hasn't really had a car that's been able to fight at the front that frequently. It's been the odd occasion here and there, the odd race in the past couple of seasons, but not consistent in the way McLaren has been since those upgrades came in. And I think what that is showing is he is a driver that isn't going to crack under the pressure. So it's going to be super interesting to see what happens if he does end up in a championship battle with Max next year, or just the near future. McLaren are making those steps forward. I don't think it's going to be very long until we see him able to fight for a championship. He's getting an 8 out of 10 this year. Very consistent. Just a really good year for Lando Norris. And yeah, I think it's got to be his best year in F1 so far. Looking at Oscar Piastri, who is one of our rookies this year, and he has to be the rookie of the year. Won it in the FIA Gala Awards, won it in the Autosport Awards, and I don't think anyone would argue with it, guys. He's been so level-headed and calm about everything in his first year in F1. We've had brilliant on-track action from him. And for someone so young in his first year... He's just holding his own so well. He's not letting the media attention and speculation about how great of a driver he is get to his head. He's just going about doing what he needs to do, still open to learning as much as he can. And I think that's the sign of a phenomenal driver, really, is when they're willing to keep learning and keep understanding. And especially in your first year, there is so much chat about him following the steps of so many great drivers in the rookie year that he's had. But he doesn't seem like he's a driver that's letting himself just sort of run away with those ideas. He's just staying in the moment and trying to do what he can do now. The win in the Qatar sprint was just beautiful. I was so, so chuffed for him. I mean, absolutely incredible to see him get a win in his rookie year. I know it was a sprint and it wasn't a Grand Prix, but it's still a win. And yes, I think when you compare him to Lando Norris, things like tyre management, he can't really compete with yet. But It is his first season. There are still things that he's having to learn and understand. And let's also remember, this is a guy that hasn't been in a racing car for a year. In 2022, he didn't have a racing seat. He wasn't driving anywhere. He was just on the sidelines with Alpine. So taking a year out of racing, getting into the McLaren and being in the form that he's been in, absolutely amazing. He is getting a 7 out of 10 because yes, there are still things that need to be improved, but still a very, very good year. 
looking at the head-to-head, I mean, we were expecting Lando to come out of this one stronger, of course, because he is the more experienced driver and he understands the car and the tracks a lot better. But I still think it was fairly good. So it was 17 to 5 in the races and 15 to 7 in qualifying. They ended up being closer than what Max and Sergio Perez were. So, I mean, Oscar is able to hold his own, but hopefully we get a closer battle next year. Aston Martin, right? So they were a team that for a lot of the beginning of the season, right? I thought they were going to be the star of the season. And then that star kind of faded away. And then we got to the end of the season and it was like, light was sort of flashing and blinking and it could be coming back on and that's all to say that it's been an absolute roller coaster for Aston Martin probably a bigger roller coaster than what most of the teams have been on this year they had an amazing start to the season right took me by surprise I had no idea that they were going to be that quick even when Christian Horner was saying he's seen great numbers or hewed about great numbers coming out of Aston Martin I didn't believe him because this was Aston Martin, they can't be that great, right? We've seen what their previous seasons have been like. But they came out in Bahrain and the car was so, so strong. They were beating Mercedes and Ferrari, Alpine. They were beating most of the grid, bar Red Bull. They had worked their magic over winter break and it was so exciting to watch. Because this wasn't a team that was third or fourth in the constructors in 2022 and had just made a little bit of a leap forward to get into second. I think they'd finished in seventh last year, but last year for them wasn't great. 2022 was a lot of peaks and troughs and going up and down. And then they came into 2023 and to make that jump from seventh to the second fastest car on the grid was incredible. They were on so many podiums and they were consecutively on podiums. It was consistent from them. Fernando Alonso was just standing next to the two Red Bull drivers like he belonged there. He was splitting the Red Bull drivers. It was Max, then Fernando, and then Sujit. So he was beating one of the Red Bulls. And then they had their first upgrade package come in, their first big upgrade package. And it's where things start to fall apart for them. The car became very unpredictable. The race pace and the quality pace slowly started to get away from it. Fernando Alonso was not happy with the way the car development was going. And then every subsequent upgrade that Aston Martin brought along with them either made the car worse or didn't really make any difference at all. They were so lost with their car development and the direction they were taking for so long. It got quite concerning at one point. I was wondering what the heck they were doing, what they were planning on doing, because they were just so, so lost. Eventually, though, towards the end of the season, I think it was around Qatar, they started to mix and match the upgrades, and that gave them much better luck. I don't know what happened or how they got it wrong during wind tunnel testing and everything, but yeah, that mix and match of upgrades from Austin or from here and from there and from everywhere did end up giving them better results. I mean, the triple header at the end of the season as well really worked out for them. So Austin, Mexico and Brazil, the car seemed a bit more competitive there. But yeah, it was at the end of the season that things seemed to be pulling together a little bit more for them. Hopefully they now have a good direction to go in for next year. But I don't really know what to think with Aston Martin right now. They ended up with 280 points that got them fifth in the championship, which feels like a bit of a drop considering they were fighting in second at the beginning of the season. Eight podiums, zero poles, one fastest lap, three laps led, 2,459 laps raced and six retirements. I can't lie, this was a really hard team for me to rate because of how up and down it's been, but I've settled on a six and a half out of ten. 
it had all gone so well for them and then yeah just fell apart for the vast majority of the season after those upgrades came in looking at their drivers and we are going to be starting with fernando alonso i mean what an insanely good season from him age defies that man anyone who says he's too old to race he has shown this season it doesn't matter he's still got it he's still got the excitement and the drive and the want to race and i think it was that excitement that we saw right at the beginning of the season when he was getting the podiums when he was celebrating with the team that just showed the amount of love that he still has for formula one and he has for racing and it's that love and excitement that he has that's driving him to carry on trailing to carry on working hard that makes him want to travel for 22 weeks in a year to race in formula one it was just an absolute joy to watch him race towards the front of the pack this year. I really, really loved it. And look, I will admit I was one of the people who thought, why in the world is he going from Alpine to Aston Martin when Aston Martin have been as bad as they have been? But it's been one of his best career decisions, let's be honest. It's been the best switch that he probably could have made because he seems really at home with Aston Martin as well. I'm giving him an eight and a half out of ten this season. I really, really hope we get to see more of this Fernando Alonso next year because, yeah, his racecraft and wheel to wheel racing is brilliant to watch. Lance Stroll, well, he didn't stand a chance against Fernando Alonso, finishing in tenth to Alonso's fourth. He just didn't seem to be able to maximise what was possible from the car when the car was at its strongest. And I think that might have been what hampered Aston Martin's fight for fourth at the end of the season against McLaren. They just didn't have a big enough buffer of points from their good start. We just saw some very low lows from Lance Stroll this season. I mean, the pushing and shoving of an Aston Martin staff member isn't acceptable. It just isn't right, no matter how disappointed or angry you are at the car, at your form, even at your team. I don't think that's an excuse to push and shove a member of your team. There were just so many points this season where his body language or just the way he spoke in his interviews made it seem like he wasn't enjoying being an F1. And I'm not really sure how next season is going to go for him, but I think questions about his future in Formula 1 are going to end up continuing if he doesn't show a marked improvement, especially compared to Fernando Alonso. It wasn't a brilliant season from him, and that is why I've given him a 4.5 out of 10. Looking at the head-to-heads, Quali was 19 to 3, and then the race was 17 to 4, both in favour of Fernando Alonso. And the races are not including Singapore, where Lance Stroll crashed during qualifying and wasn't able to start the race. Can't lie, that's not a huge surprise to me that Fernando Alonso dominated in that teammate head to head, and we will see if that gets closer or wider next season. Looking now at Alpine, where do I really start? What do I even say? It feels with Alpine that they're a bit stagnant at the moment. There's been no real growth from the 2022 season. The team is inconsistent. The team has been inconsistent for years. I want to see Alpine fighting at the front. I want to see them do well. And there are races where I get really, really excited because they seem to have really good race pace and they can fight further at the front. And then there are races where... I can't see either drivers in the points and I'm wondering what is going on. They've had three races this season with double DNFs. Three where the drivers have not been able, neither driver has been able to finish the race. That's insane to me. So yes, there has been some bad luck. I mean, Esteban Ocon had a lot of retirements. They are a solid fifth in the championship. I mean, couldn't really battle ahead of them. Nothing really to battle with behind. But I think... Otmar Zaf now leaving in the middle of the season or being fired 
shows how unhappy Alpine are with what is going on in their team right now. I don't know whether firing Otmar will change anything. I mean, we've got Pat Fry moving over now to Williams. I don't know whether any of this will make a difference. By the sounds of it, Pat Fry opted to leave. He said that he wanted to leave because there was a lack of enthusiasm and drive to move the team forward beyond fourth place. Yeah, that in itself is an issue if that's true. Because I thought Alpine were fighting in however many races they said. I think it was 100. I want to say it was 100. And I think we're about halfway, maybe over halfway in that 100 race mark. Potentially they might hit the reset on that 100 races because it does feel very stagnant from the team right now. We also have this massive amount of investment going into Alpine from all of these different athletes. Will that make a difference? Who knows? We will once again wait and see what happens. Maybe it's what they need. Maybe upgraded facilities and all the rest of it is what they need. But I don't know. I couldn't tell you. It was just disappointing from them this season they weren't able to really mount a challenge to anyone i'm giving them a five out of ten just because yeah how stagnant they've been looking at their stats it's 120 points with zero wins two podiums no poles no fastest laps no laps led 2360 laps erased with 10 retirements or dnfs six of those do come from esteban ocon but let's have a chat about the drivers now. And we're going to start off with Pierre Gasly. Now, he made the move from AlphaTauri to Alpine in the hopes for a better and more competitive car. And yes, I think we can admit that at least for the vast majority of the season, the Alpine did seem to be a better car than AlphaTauri. But it wasn't really fighting towards the front. Like I said, they weren't really battling with anyone in the constructors. So I don't think it's necessarily what Pierre wanted. I think he's going to be hoping that they make a move towards the front next year. I just think this year we didn't really see the best of Pierre Gasly, but... I don't think it was awful considering that he did get his maiden podium with Alpine. So he's had podiums before, but it's his first one with Alpine. A lot of highs and lows for him, but I think the reason we didn't get to see the best from him is generally because of the car. I think it played a massive role for him this year. So I'm giving him a 6 out of 10. Esteban Ocon, much like Pierre, couldn't do much with the car he had, but he still got a podium like Pierre. Bad luck with all of the DNFs that he had. 6 is a lot not all of them his fault reliability and other incidents just did not work in his favor so many time penalties for Esteban Ocon this year as well I mean Austria I think it was saw him with the 30 seconds in total when bad luck was leaving him alone though and he was just able to race I think he had a pretty good season so I'm giving him a 6 out of 10 as well I honestly think these are both very good drivers in Alpine, but I don't think the car is letting them really show any of their skills or their talents. Head-to-head was quite evenly matched. Races were 10-9, to Esteban Ocon. Both of those drivers obviously did retire at the Australian Grand Prix, the British Grand Prix and the Hungarian Grand Prix. So those were the three double DNFs. And then qualifying was 14-8. to would be very interesting to see what would have happened had we not had all of the double retirements and also the amount of DNS Esteban Ocon had. So hopefully next year it's a more reliable car, more consistent, and we'll see really what is going on with those two drivers. But they seem to be quite evenly matched at the moment. Moving on to seventh place in the constructors, and that is Williams. And I have absolutely adored watching Williams this season. I've fallen in love with this team. 
they are going to be a team I definitely continue to root for. There's just been such a great energy surrounding the team this year. James Valls is bringing so much since he has joined their team as the team principal. And we can already see the attitude making a shift in Williams. The car has been so, so much stronger. We're getting Q3 appearances. Okay, it might not be super, super consistently, but they're more regularly than we've seen from Williams. There are more races where they're fighting for points. And I just think this has been a much stronger season for them in comparison to the last couple of years. And that's the trajectory you want to see, especially further down the field for these teams. You want to see them building themselves up, getting quicker, getting more consistently in the points, because that shows that we're slowly closing up the field. I'm super excited to see what happens to Williams next year. I think with James Vallis leading them, with a driver like Alex Albon, the only way surely is up now. I mean, the fact that they managed to lock out the third row in Las Vegas was a result I don't think they were expecting or that any of us were expecting. And on a whole, I'm giving them a 7 out of 10. There were some races where the car was just not suited to the track and that did cost them a couple of points. Still managed to go into 7th, but yes, I think 7 out of 10 for this team. Looking at their stats, it was... 28 points overall. No wins, no podiums, no poles, no fastest laps, no laps led. They are the team with the least amount of laps raced with 2,291. And that's probably down to the fact that they are the team with the most amount of retirements with 11. And I think Logan Sargent, yes, did contribute to a lot of those. But rookie year, he is still getting used to the car. And they still managed to keep a hold to seven. Let's have a chat about their drivers then. Alex Albon, I mean, what? A wonderful season for him. I think him and Williams are just this really cohesive, good team. They seem to be moving very, very well together. And he's shown himself to be such a good leader now. Great wheel-to-wheel battles for him. I am praying that Williams give him a better car next year because this is a guy that should be fighting towards the front. I want to see him on podiums. He's got the talent and skill for it. He has fully maximised on the results for Williams when he's been able to. And that is why I'm giving him an 8 out of 10. Logan Sargent was our other rookie that completed a full season this year. Had a large number of DNFs and accidents throughout race weekends, not just on race day, sometimes it was in quali. But I will give it to him. He's kept his chin up and he's worked very hard to get those improvements and to find out what he can do better. I think one of his main issues, especially at the beginning of the season, was he was pushing too hard, especially in qualifying. He was pushing so hard and you could hear James on the radio say, please don't push that hard. Don't worry, just get used to the track. And I think it's a lesson that he had to learn the hard way. We are seeing small glimmers though. Like I said, he has learned those lessons the hard way. I think he's getting there slowly. And he does have another year now to prove himself. A very, very challenging year for him, I think. But I think it's a year where he's hopefully learned a lot and will carry those lessons into 2024. But I am going to give him a 4 out of 10 for his performance this season. Looking at the teammate head-to-head, I mean, Alex Albon won in both the race and qualifying 18-3 to during the race and 22-0 to during qualifying. Logan Sargent was not able to out-qualify Alex Albon in any race this year. Maybe we'll see that change next year. That is obviously excluding the fact that neither driver finished in the 2023 Japanese Grand Prix. Looking now at AlphaTauri, and they had a difficult beginning to the year. We're not even going to discuss the driver situation that went on with AlphaTauri. If you are interested in that, I spoke about this a lot last week. They've had four drivers in their car. But yeah, we're not going to discuss that. But even excluding all the driver drama, the car itself at the beginning of the season was 
difficult. It was a mess, I think, for the majority of the season, to be honest with you. It seemed like hell to drive. It didn't seem easy. It seemed very, very slow. But they brought in a very, very big upgrade package, and that seemed to launch them up the field. Now, they did end up finishing in eighth. They couldn't catch up with Williams to take seven. But it was the individual races with those upgrades, I think, really are pointing out that Alpha Tauri have picked up the pace. I mean, their drivers were getting further and further up the points. They were qualifying better. Yuki Tsunoda in Abu Dhabi was great to watch. So there is pace in that car. Looking at their stats, there were 25 points, no wins, no podiums, no poles, one fastest lap, five laps led, all from Yuki Tsunoda and Abu Dhabi, which means they have led more laps than Aston Martin have this year. 2,473 laps raced, so they've been fairly good at keeping up with the amount of laps raced this year. And four retirements in DNF, so they're actually the team with the second least amount of retirements. Looking at Yuki Tsunoda then, I mean, I think... This has been a really good season for him. I think he's been a lot more consistent, a lot more level-headed. He's beaten all three of his teammates and just grown into a really good racing driver, in my opinion. And I think he learned a lot from Pierre when he was teammates with Pierre. And going into this year, I mean, he was going to be the more experienced driver, even against Nick DeVries, in a Formula One car. Nick was more experienced in terms of his racing history in general. In terms of a Formula 1 car, that was Yuki Tsunoda. He was the one that was going to have to give the feedback to the team. And I think he did step up to that play. I think he did well in that. Like I said, leading laps in Abu Dhabi, holding off Fernando Alonso, beating Lewis Hamilton. Uh, It was just a great race for Yuki Tsunoda and a great goodbye for Franz Tost as well. I think next year is going to be a very good year for him. I'm hoping it will be. I think he's just going to carry on building on the form that he's had. And I'm giving him a six and a half out of ten. Now, I'm not going to really rate any of the other three drivers because I don't think any of them really had enough time. I don't really want to judge drivers on half a season, on five races, on four races, wherever it was. But what I will say is I think Nick DeVries, it was gutting. The time that he had in Apatari, yes, he didn't have the pace. Do I think it could have changed with a little bit more time, potentially? Daniel Ricciardo, I think, had a pretty decent comeback, gutting that he obviously ended up injuring himself and needing to go for surgery and had to take a couple of races out because of that. But considering the way he had left McLaren and you could tell that took a toll on him, I think he had a very good comeback. But my standout driver in that seat next to Yuki Tsunoda was Liam Lawson. He was absolutely brilliant and I've mentioned multiple times I am gutted that he's not racing full-time next year. Ninth in the constructors went to Alfa Romeo and this was just a bad season for the team. For me they seem to fade into obscurity a little bit because I didn't hear about them a whole load. I don't know why I feel like other teams further down the grid you know Alfa Tauri, Haas even They've had at least moments of brilliance. Like I said, Alfa Tauri, the big upgrades package. Haas have had moments where the car has been good or qualifying has been very good for them. But Alfa Romeo, it's all been a bit bleh. You know, there's been no wow moment from them, basically. There's nothing that's really stood out to me for Alfa Romeo. Bar some of their liveries. I really love their Las Vegas livery. But I think it's just a shame with their drivers, especially with Altri Bottas, because you know that he's a very, very good driver, but does not have the car to do anything with all of his talent and skill and his experience. They've got a 3 out of 10. I personally don't know completely how they beat Haas. Actually, I do. Haas's race pace was not great. But yeah, 3 out of 10. This was a bit of an eh season for me. Stats-wise, 16 points. No wins, no podiums, no poles, no laps led. 
one fastest lap, 2,473 laps raced with six retirements or DNFs. Talking about Valtteri Bottas, this was a quiet season for him. Nothing really to fully yell about. Four races where he did manage to score points out of the 22 races. I think he's just trying his best with the car. He's extracting as much as he can. He's giving as much feedback as he can. But the car is only letting him do so much. So a 5 out of 10 for him. Zhou Guanyu, yeah, quiet season for him as well. I think people are questioning his seat more than Valtteri's right now because unlike Valtteri, he doesn't have the experience behind him and the sort of race wins and the podiums to back him up, which is why I think people question him more. With Valtteri, I think you can look at Val and be like, you know, if he got given the car, he would do very, very well. With Zhou Guan Yu, we have another chance to see what he can really do in a very, very good car consistently. So it is hard to figure out what his future in Formula 1 will be, but yeah, Bottas did outscore him this season. Hungary was his main highlight though, he got into P5, but other than that, I don't think there was a huge, huge stand-up for him. Qualifying though, not great for him, he has not been brilliant in qualifying, I don't know whether it's the car, whether he's just not someone that does very well in qualifying maybe, but yeah. Four and a half out of ten for him, looking at the team head-to-head, Valtteri has beaten Shogun Yu out on race and quali. 15 to 6 in quality, 12 to 9 during the race. So yeah, you can see the gap is a little bit bigger during qualifying. Not as big in the race, to be fair. But yeah, quality, hopefully we'll see if Shogun, you can close that up a little bit. And then we get to last place, Haas, with their new MoneyGram sponsor. With all of the investment and money that MoneyGram are bringing in, I thought we would see something. I think Haas had bigger hopes for the season. They brought in a massive new upgrade during Cota, I think it was. And it wasn't just an upgrade. This was a new concept car. And they said this was going to be what their 2024 car was based off of. This was the concept they were going in with for next year. But neither driver seems to be too fussed on it. So goodness knows what's going to happen in 2024. It's not solved the problems that they've wanted to. It's not given them the race pace on a Sunday that they've wanted because that is where Haas is struggling, much like Ferrari. Quali seems to go better for them. You've got especially Nico Hülkenberg, I think, in Quali, who is able to qualify fairly high up, get into Q3. And then on a race day, the tyres start falling apart, the race pace isn't there, and they just fall further and further back in the order. And much like Alfa Romeo, I think these are two teams that are being left behind by the likes of Alfa Tari and Williams, who have managed to get a better handle on the new regulations, who are figuring out how to maximise the potential of their car and their drivers. And Alfa Romeo and Haas are sort of just scrabbling at the back for those points, and especially this season, just trying not to end in last. Looking at their stats, it was 12 points in total, no wins, no podiums, no poles, no fastest laps, no laps led. 2,419 laps raced and 7 retirements, all DNFs, and they are also getting a 3 out of 10 like Alfa Romeo. Nico Hülkenberg obviously made a comeback to Formula 1 with Haas after a couple of years out from Formula 1 where he wasn't racing an F1 car. This wasn't just a year, this was a good couple of years. And I wasn't expecting him to outperform Kevin Magnussen. I mean, I don't think he was going to be horrendous, but yeah, with the amount of time you're taking out of Formula 1, I thought Kevin would outperform him, but that just wasn't the case. With a better car, I think Nico Hülkenberg will be further up the pecking order. With a better car, I think Nico Hülkenberg will be able to get better points home for Haas because there are times where he is outperforming what that car can do. And that's why I'm giving him a a 6.5 out of 10. Kevin Magnussen, on the other hand, has had an underwhelming season, especially compared to his first season back 
in Formula One, which was last year. He was outperformed by Nico on multiple occasions, had a few DNFs of his own, had some bad luck come into play. I just think I was expecting more from him. And I think the signing was probably expecting a little bit more. Then giving him a five and a half out of ten. Looking at that head-to-head though, we've got Nico Hulkenberg beating Kevin Magnusson on both the race and qualifying. 15 to 7 in qualifying, 13 to 9 during the race. So that is my roundup on all the teams, the drivers and the teammate head-to-head. I mean, I think the only team that didn't have an absolute roller coaster didn't have that many bumps and things to deal with we're Red Bull they've just been strong from the start everyone else I think has had at least a couple of challenges in the case of some teams a lot of challenges that they've had to battle through but I think next year will be interesting especially with some of these late big upgrade packages we've had from some of the teams the likes of McLaren and AlphaTauri looking at even Aston Martin now, where they've seemingly figured out what's going on with their car. It's going to be really interesting to see how the beginning of 2024 plays out. Now, I did send out a Google form and asked for opinions on the 2023 F1 season. So covered some of the responses in last week's episode where I asked about favourite moments and things like that. But I thought I'd talk about some of the teams and driver responses that I've got this week. So I asked you guys, who was your standout team of the year? And there were only two teams that were voted for. Most people ended up voting for McLaren. And then after that, it was Williams, which I think is completely fair enough. I think they were the teams that, with Williams surprised us the most, and with McLaren just had this great improvement in the middle of the season. For me, I have to say the standout team was Williams. To be where they were in 2022 and to be slowly building up and getting stronger in 2023 considering the lack of funding that they have compared to some teams like McLaren that is why they are my standout team of the year but I completely understand why McLaren won out that one I then asked about who your flop team of the year was and 44% of the vote went to Haas completely understandable honestly I thought with some of the MoneyGram sponsorship they might be doing better. Maybe we'll see that money really put to play now in the coming year. They will have a lot more wind tunnel time now, but yeah, they did not do well this year at all. After that, we had people voting for Mercedes, which yeah, fair enough. Second year in a row, they haven't really managed to nail the regulations. And people also voted for Aston Martin, Alpine and Alfa Romeo. I don't think people would have voted for Aston Martin had the upgrades not gone as badly as they did. For your standout driver of the year, 44% of you voted for Alex Alban, and I completely and utterly agree. I'm really, really excited to watch what happens with him. After that, people voted for Lewis Hamilton, which, yes, he really did outperform the car that he was in. And then we had votes for Oscar Piastri, Max, and Liam Lawson as well. Then I asked who your flop driver of the year was, who was the driver that basically disappointed you guys the most, and the most amount of votes went to Sergio Perez. And once again, I think had he not been in the most dominant car we've seen in a very long time, he probably would not have been voted for as much as he did. But I would have to agree with you guys there. It was a little bit disappointing for him. Rookie of the year by a landslide went to Oscar Piastri, and I put the options here for Oscar, Logan, Nick and also Liam Lawson and a couple of you did also vote for Liam Lawson as well but yeah I think Oscar Piastri by a landslide just had a phenomenal phenomenal rookie year and I think like Alex Alban and I know Alex isn't a rookie but it's just a career trajectory that's going to be so exciting to watch especially with how competitive McLaren are looking right now. 
And that is my 2023 season review completely finished. And it also means that season one of The Steward's Office is now officially completed. Before I close off this episode, I just want to say a huge, huge thank you to everyone who has listened to the podcast, who has followed me on social media, who has supported me in any way. It honestly really, really means the world to me. I have had so much fun this year recording this, creating content, interacting with you all. It's just been a really, really brilliant year for me. I cannot wait to start season two. I have got stuff planned and ready for next year. I will be back the first week of January. So make sure you have your notifications on for this podcast so you don't miss when I come back. But yeah, just a huge, huge thank you and welcome back to you all. It has meant so much. I will still be active over on my social media channels, so especially on TikTok and Instagram at stewards underscore office. I'll still be posting on there through the rest of December and into next year, but this will be the last podcast episode. So I am going to wish you all a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And if you aren't celebrating, I just hope you guys have a really wonderful rest of December and have a brilliant start to 2024. Thank you guys so much for listening and please give this podcast five stars if you've enjoyed it. It means a lot to me and I will see you guys in 2024 for season two when you are summoned to the steward's office.